0: All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, thanks for the the chance to be with these friends. Um, We miss being together, but thank you that we get to see each other's faces. Thank you that your word is uh, applicable and true to us in a time like this, as it is in any other. We pray that you would uh, continue to be with and support the people in our community who are struggling, who need you, uh, people who we know who are sick, who are uh, working in health care, who are bearing the burdens uh, of this time, we pray that you'd support them and encourage them. Pray for our nation and our world during such difficult times and all the other ways in which we uh, struggle to live together and love one another. And we pray that you'd speak to us this evening in your word. Give us great hope in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're, uh, we're doing a summer in the Psalms, as you know, and uh, And just just so you know, I've got a cool little extra microphone up here just in case, uh, you know, our microphone goes bad. So if something happens, I'll I'll be right back, I promise. But we're doing a a summer in the Psalms. Uh, We decided to do this last year uh, before any of this came to be. And we thought that we were going to be in a series of discipleship for the whole year. We thought it'd be nice to kind of take a break from that for the the summer and uh, explore some of what, what we find in the Psalms. Uh, we're going to take another little break and do something called the political disciple, where we're going to discuss uh, politics from you know, the, the perspective of the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans, but um, just asking the question, as disciples of Jesus, what responsibility do we have uh, in our political system? So anyway, Summer in the Psalms is where we're at now, and today, as you heard Danny read, we uh, are doing Psalm 128. So Psalm 128 is one of those almost too good to be true psalms that pronounces blessings or happiness uh, to those who fear the Lord, who walk in his ways. And there's peace pronounced upon Israel, or another way to say that would be peace as pronounced upon God's people. Uh, prosperity is promised to the work of your hands and in your family. And uh, we tend to, to, tend to respond in a couple of different ways to a psalm like this. At least, at least I've noticed a couple of different responses. We either accept it and just steadfastly uh, hope that it happens, that these great blessings will come. I know um, for me and my family, uh, not that it was rooted in this specific psalm, but I think we would hear pronouncements of possible blessing, and we would just kind of say, yes, please, we want that. We would hope for it. uh, We would pray for it. And often we would feel very betrayed by God if it didn't happen. Uh, because we'd come back to God and say, hey, I prayed, perhaps I donated to your work, I did something um, in faith that these blessings were going to come, and something difficult happened instead, and I didn't get it. And it can leave you feeling very let down. Or we say, I, you know, that that can't quite be true, it's a little too good to be true. Um, perhaps in this psalm, it's really just talking about spiritual blessings or uh, something like a, like an ethereal heaven um, where these kind of things might be possible. And so, you know, don't expect it in this life, but, um, you know, it's just kind of this otherworldly idea that's presented in the psalm. But the text absolutely doesn't say that um, at all. It talks about, for example, just one example within Psalm 128 is this this marriage that that flourishes where, you know, this, this is a, a psalm, you know, addressing men, but it says... You know, your wife will be like a fruitful vine uh, in your house, and and vines were precious to them. I mean, they they shaded their homes. They brought um, they brought you know ing- they 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 brought food and shelter. Like these were major blessings in their house, and uh, that's promised. And we know in the scriptures that marriage is never cast as a biblical eternal thing outside of what marriage points to our relationship with God. So this has to be about. Our lives, our actual lives. We could say maybe this is just an Old Testament thing. Maybe um, God did stuff for people in the Old Testament back in Israel um, like this, but because of Jesus, it's mostly spiritual and future. But that doesn't quite square either, because the New Testament says similar things. The New Testament makes similar promises. Uh, One example of, of many, many, many in the New Testament, and I use it because it's so regular is the opening of so many of the letters of the New Testament. They, they open over and over again with two pronouncements over the people of Israel that are very similar to what Psalm 128 says, just they're brief, but there's this pronouncement of grace and peace. I'll show you just how pervasive it is. I'm going to run through a bunch of them. Romans 1.7, "...to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people." Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.3 and 2 Corinthians 1.2. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. These are pronouncements. These are sure things. It's the same in Galatians 1.3 and Ephesians 1.2 and Philippians 1.2. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.2 to God's holy people. Colossi, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. 1 Thessalonians 1 1. Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you. 2 Thessalonians is the same. Titus 1 4. Titus, my true son in the common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Savior to you. Now it's personal from Paul to his disciple, and Philemon, grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter, to those who've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ sprinkled with his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. And 1 Peter 1, 2, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of god and jesus christ our lord finally in revelation 1 4 john to the seven churches in the province of asia grace and peace to you from him who is who was and who is to come and from the sevenfold spirit before his throne grace and peace be yours grace and peace be yours in abundance Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord and walks in his ways. Peace be upon Israel. It seems to be a whole Bible theme, grace, peace, blessing. Blessed is everybody who fears the Lord. It seems to be a whole Bible theme, so what do we do with it? Now, I'm not much of a memorizer, and I don't mean just of the Bible. I mean of of anything at all, ever but I went on a silent retreat last year, and with a lot of encouragement, um, I memorized a psalm, and the one that I picked was this one. It was Psalm 128, and I said it to memorize it, because I don't have any kind of photographic uh, memory at all. I'm not even close. So I had to say this hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times, even a short psalm like this to get it really ingrained in my head. And about a third of the way in, this psalm got to me, and you could say it broke me down, and it brought me to tears because there's this tension that I began to feel as I internalized it and as these words began to get stuck in my head, and the tension was, I want to believe that this is true, but it feels too good to be true, but I wish, I wish it was. Now, I have to assume that this was true for the man who wrote it as well and for the ancient Hebrews who sang it And for the people 2,000 years ago who read all these letters in the New Testament that pronounced grace and peace be yours in abundance, it feels too good to be true, but it is what we long to hear from God. We long to hear God pronounce blessings and happiness and grace and peace and tell us that it will be and it is a sure thing. Now a question to ask. When you read a psalm like this, and you think through the the fact that maybe, um, maybe this author didn't really experience it all perfectly. Maybe he didn't have the perfect marriage and all the the perfect kids, and you know, see the absolute you know flourishing of Israel. Maybe he's just delusional, or or he's just kind of painting a picture that's too good to be true, or or the psalms you know are all just kind of fluff and not rooted in reality. But you have to remember, this is in the same songbook as the psalm we spoke about a couple of weeks ago. There was a psalm of absolute despair that didn't resolve with any hope. Um, many of the psalms acknowledge conflict and your enemies, and the New Testament books as well, the ones that open with grace and peace, say, say things like, you will be persecuted, and there's an enemy seeking those whom he may devour, so watch out. You know, the same Peter who said, grace and peace be yours in abundance, said, look out for the enemy who wants to devour you. And the same book of Revelation that promised this grace and peace to us says there will be be deep tribulation all throughout history. So we must not understand something intuitively that maybe a psalm writer like this did. There must be some value, some strategy, some truth in holding on to blessings and promises while also holding on at the same time to this tension that it is not all yet that way, there must be a value in doing these two things at the same time and i've i 've come to believe that this is true. We can and I would go as far as to say we must speak of realities that we only part way experience and I would say too, like uh, just to just to make sure this is you know clarified in here. We, we do work, we don't just speak of these realities, we pursue godliness, we pursue righteousness because there are benefits to fearing the Lord. But at the same time, we speak of these promises that he makes us. And in so doing, we stir up the hope that we need to move through difficult times. We need to meditate on hope, ultimate hope and proximate hope to endure our suffering and to prepare for the next day and the next day. But this is only helpful and effective if it's rooted in truth, if ultimate grace and peace do await, and if actual grace and peace can be tasted in this life, if religion isn't just like an opiate that we take to feel better, but it's something that actually is leading somewhere. And this is where the gospel of Jesus Christ becomes very important, extremely. Because Jesus himself, when you look at his life, Hebrews 12.2 says he endured the cross. And if you think about his enduring of the cross, I I don't believe that the, the writer of Hebrews or anyone else in the New Testament would say he only endured the cross for a week or so. They would all say he came to earth with knowledge that the cross was before him the whole time. And he was enduring the expectation of that cross and the expectation of all of the the difficulties that would surround that experience where his father would actually turn his face away from him but hebrews twelve two says he endured the cross because of hope the hope that was set before him and that hope was a real hope and he is risen and experiencing the feelings of that hope now and the realities of it, all except for the absolute finishing of it when he returns and there's a final judgment and his people are redeemed and his enemies are defeated and his church, his bride is exalted. But his real presence in our lives makes us able to sing and to declare things like Psalm 128. Because Jesus didn't just you know, endure and experience it when he got to the end. He tasted and experienced of these things in his lifetime, as can we. Not because they're perfectly true here and now or perfectly fulfilled, but because they are, are assured, and the God who promises them is with us. And that is a powerful weapon against discouragement. It's, just, it's not just the eternal future evidence we hold on to, but it's actually the evidence, the, the tidbits that we get within this life. There's a book by John Piper called Future Grace, and it's a very long book, and I'm going to hardly represent it to you here. But the idea is that God has given us all some grace. Uh, and believers, and, and honestly, even, even if you're on the, on the fence about Jesus, he's given you some grace and what do I mean by that? There There's so many types of grace. Has he ever helped you? Has God ever helped you in your time of need? Have you ever received any good thing in this life that you do not deserve? Have you ever been treated with patience when you are difficult to be patient with? Have you ever meditated on how much he loves you despite the fact that you give him so little of your time and attention. All of that is grace. All of that is an undeserved gift. And if you've received any of his grace, then the idea in John Piper's book, Future Grace, is expect more. If you've received any of it, expect more. Bank on an expectation of more, even in this life, that he who gives graciously will give you more grace and that all things will work together for good, even the hard stuff, even the stuff that tastes terrible in this life. And this will become not only, I want to be clear on this, this doesn't become a desire just for God's benefits, for health or wealth, but it's a meditation on his goodness because when you receive something good by his grace, it speaks to his faithfulness and his character, which is what we really need to see And every bit of his faithfulness that you experience evidences for you and gives you a taste of what's coming when you know him and see him face to face. Now finally, I want to address a couple of problems before I send you off into your microchurches. First, I know that the beginning of this psalm, um, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, can bring up some complicated feelings. The idea of fearing the Lord is complicated. And... um, we don't know what it's like, I think, to love someone that we fear. And, and some of us do more than others. We tend to talk about this in our staff team a lot, that some of us have different experiences of, of this co-mingling of love and, and fear, getting what some have called love and discipline from the same hand. There's a, there's a country song. I've talked about it before, and I always, I always say that I'm talking to the wrong audience with country songs, and then a couple of you always go, no, I, I, I do like it, so... You know, whatever. I'll just keep referencing it. But there's a country song called Daddy's Hands. And it's, uh, basically the chorus goes, Daddy's hands were soft and kind when I was crying. Daddy's hands were hard as steel when I'd done wrong. Daddy's hands weren't always gentle, but I've come to understand there was always love in Daddy's hands. And that song becomes even more poignant when you realize that Holly Dunn the singer-songwriter, was talking about her actual father and that he was a pastor. And she had this close relationship with him, and what a gift that she could say, he disciplined me. I would, I would assume she would say, he was a defender of me, but then she would, she would say, but he loved me and he comforted me. This love and discipline came from the same hands. You could fear someone that you love. C.S. Lewis teaches the concept in the character of Aslan the lion in Narnia, this terrible and dangerous force to be reckoned with, who when you stand before them, it it inspires awe and fear. I could be destroyed. But who is also breathtaking and glorious and lovable to whom children can cling with reckless abandon. And so to fear the Lord doesn't mean just to cower before him. It means to love one who is mighty and, and holy and worthy of all praise. It is to awe and reverence and respect, and yes, to be afraid while also falling utterly in love and feeling the security of strength. Those who fear the Lord and walk in his ways begin to see God in this kind of complexity. And uh, none of us can comprehend how perfectly God balances these traits. We get shadows. If you're if we have a father like Holly Dunn's, we're blessed. But we're told all throughout in the scriptures, the little taste we get of that, we can receive the ultimate version of that in God himself. But problem number two, and I would say this is honestly the bigger issue, is the condition of the blessings in the psalm, because the blessings come to those who do fear the Lord and walk in his ways. And as I said, you you can fear the lord and you should and there are benefits to walking in his ways you really should try to apply that but at the end of the day it can feel it can it can lead you into two you know really into two pits and the pit on the one side is if you feel like i'm doing a great job at fearing the lord and walking in his ways you are in danger of falling into the pit of pride of thinking i have earned this this isn't a blessing from God. This is something I have deserved. I have worked for. God needs to give it to me. He owes me. And that pride will lead you down the path of the Pharisees and far from Christ. And on the other side, if you fail, there's the pit of why bother? Like I, I've tried over and over again to walk in his ways and no wonder I'm not blessed. I'm a screw up. Why would God ever bother to, to come in and, and to give me anything good? And that usually leads us down the road of just saying, oh, well, so I'll do what I want. I, it leads you to rebellion. Just what difference does it make anyway? I might as well be happy. But the beauty of the gospel, the good news of Christianity, and the Bible's entire message is the, the condition spoken of to all of us in Psalm 128 and all, everywhere else in the scriptures, that of those who fear the Lord and walk in his ways, that the condition is fulfilled and ultimately fulfilled not by us, but by someone else on our behalf. In the Old Testament, who could say that they feared the Lord all the time or walked in his ways perfectly? The very presence of the tabernacle or temple in their midst meant nobody. The fact that they had to have a continually burning altar, the fact that there were always sacrifices having to be brought in for their sins, for their accidental sins, for the sins they did on purpose, for the sins they did nationally, for the sins they did individually. The fact that they always had to smell the scent of those offerings meant nobody was righteous. No, not one, which the Psalms in the New Testament affirm. The only way for them to come before God and sing his Psalms and recite his prayers was to have their sins atoned for by the sacrifice of innocent life over and over and over again. And of course, in the New Testament, were presented with the incarnate Christ Jesus, born of God and the Virgin Mary, living a life so squeaky clean that his disciples claimed he never lied, which is a very difficult claim to make to your contemporaries unless it's true. And then this Jesus laid down his life through his unjust trial, condemnation, and public shaming upon the cross. And on that cross, fulfilled what the temple required over and over again, but he fulfilled it once and for all. So in the New Testament, who deserves the blessings of Psalm 128, lifelong prosperity that all would be well? Only Jesus. But who gets them? Everyone who calls on his name. Everyone who runs to him for shelter. Everyone who hopes in him and his cross work. Everyone who receives his fear of the Lord by faith. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord who walks in his ways. Listen to this and think about it being in reference to Jesus. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold... Thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. And in Christ, these blessings are perfectly true, and they get shared, they get layered, they get gifted unto all of those who bow before him and call him their Lord and their savior. I have some questions for you in your churches. Your leader will go over them with you. But I want you to, to meditate on this idea of Proverbs thirteen twelve, where it says hope deferred makes the heart sick but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Psalm 128 is presenting us with a longing that everyone, everything would be well and it would go well with us. It's a longing that we have. It's one we need to wake up in the morning. It's one we need to go to work. It's one we need to show up in our families. It's, it's one we need to show up in difficult friendships. And in all of the difficulties that this world and our life and all of our situations throw at us, we need this kind of hope if you defer it, your heart will be sick. So what makes your heart sick? I want you to talk about that in your microchurch. When you think about it, what ache do you feel that God will never heal? The second thing I want you to, to talk about is a recent experience you have of God's grace that you can see and, and you know, include, expand your definition, not just like, well, he forgave me of my sins, like, unless that you have a very recent realization of that, which is good, but, but think of all of the things he freely gives. Where can you see evidence of his goodness and his grace in your life? And then what hope do you need help to hold on to and share this with your group? Ask for their prayers. Even if it isn't guaranteed to be completely perfected in this life, voice it. Begin to hold on to it and begin to lay it at the feet of the one who has received all authority in heaven and on earth and ask your group to support you in not deferring your hope. Let me pray with you as you prepare for that, and then we'll sing one more song together. Father, may these things be so. May we taste of them forever in your kingdom. But may we taste of them, even in this life, as long as it would glorify your name, as long as it would not become our idol. Do bless us, God. Do bring prosperity to your church. Do root us in your salvation. Do make us a city on a hill that actually shines light out into a dark world. Do it for your sake and by your grace. In Jesus' name.
1: should condemn me the truth is so much more this is how i know i'm secure that even though i keep falling your love for me into to Thank you for your love for us. I pray that we would see you for who you are, uh, even the fearsome, powerful danger that exists within just the nature of your being. Um, and that we would see that and that your love would be amplified, that we would be called seriously into following the commands that you give us, to following your ways. Um, and ultimately that that would give us an urgency just to bring the message that you've given us and the love that you've given us out into the world um, so that we can bring your kingdom here. pray that for your glory. Amen.